Hi, my name is Cindy Spaulding. I'm an assistant professor in the School of Education at Liberty University, and I want to share with you the history of special education in the United States. As teacher preparation programs and exceptionality courses in the United States frequently begin the review of the history of special education by surveying the reform that took place in the 1960s and 1970s, students preparing to become special educators might infer that the history of special education is fairly young and that progress has been quite recent. However, as you will soon see, this belief is far from the truth. Only a few decades ago, people with disabilities could be found in warehouse-like environments often neglected and excluded from society. Further, as recently as 1974, more than 1.75 million students with disabilities did not have access to educational services and, until the mid-1970s, the choice to enroll students with disabilities in public schools was left to the whims and preferences of states, local education agencies, and school administrators. In the early 1970s, up to 80% of students with disabilities did not receive an education, and of the small percentage who did, it was often ill-suited to their needs. The right to a free and appropriate education for all American children was only ensured and upheld by law in 1975 with the passage of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, now known as the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA. The precipitating developments which culminated in the passage of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act ushered in the present era of reform and progress, one that you're probably very familiar with which is evidenced by the development of legal and human rights, more positive social attitudes, and greater access to effective care and education. This recent era of reform, however, is not unprecedented. Although exceptionality courses and teacher training programs surveying historical perspectives in special education, as noted before, often begin with the reform in the 1960s and 1970s, the history of disability advocacy and the development of special education in the United States actually began much earlier. In fact, reformers from a century prior engaged in similar work to change the plight of people with disabilities, namely through altering societal attitudes, establishing legal rights, and ensuring training and education. The history of special education in the United States can be classified into three distinct eras. Early reform, 1800 to 1870, stagnation and regression, 1870 to 1950, and contemporary reform, 1950 to the present. I'm going to explain these reforms in much more greater detail in the slides that follow. The literature relating to the treatment and education of people with disabilities not only reveals distinct eras, but also several repeating themes. Theme 1, the treatment of people with disabilities follows societal and cultural trends. Theme 2, changing conceptions of disability as a qualitative or quantitative phenomenon. Theme 3, shifting emphases on nature and nurture. And theme 4, new paradigms are not necessarily better than the old. As I discussed the following um, three eras that I introduced on the slide before, you're going to see how these themes continue to emerge in each era. For thousands of years prior to the turn of the 18th century, people with disabilities faced a series of hardships, including exploitation, exclusion, expulsion, and in some cases even execution. Aristotle advocated a law forbidding children with deformities to live. 
The Greeks left such children to die in the wilderness. The Romans trained boys who were blind to become beggars and girls to become prostitutes. And even early Christians saw disability as punishment or vengeance from a divine master in retaliation for the sins of the affected individual or the parents. Extensions of charity, minimal as they were, often serve more to solve the conscience of the benefactor than to meet the needs of the recipient. Moreover, people with disabilities were viewed as less than human and qualitatively different, exemplified in the various terms used to describe them. Derived from the Greek, the word moron meant foolish, an idiot meant the opposite of citizen, denoting a person who did not participate in public life. Furthermore, human intellect, the ability to reason, was argued to be the essence of humanness, and philosophers believed that if one of the senses is lost, knowledge must also be lost. Therefore, people with disabilities were dehumanized. Stemming from beliefs that disability was inhuman and deviant, society attempted to buffer itself by removing people from dis with disabilities from the public eye. By around the 12th century, institutions were established for people with mental disorders, and hospitals were set up for the blind, but the goal is not to nurture or to educate, but to contain and conceal. By the dawn of the 19th century, however, philosophical thought, medical and scientific advancement, and economic motivations prompted new inquiry and interest in the plight of people with disabilities. The era of early reform begins in the 1800s and spans until 1870. Widespread interest in educating people with disabilities first emerged as French Enlightenment philosophers began to inquire about the essence of human nature, language development, and the intellect. As senses were thought to be the basis for reasoning, philosophers such as Locke and Condillac began to inquire how people with sensory disabilities were able to reason and develop ideas. As sensory disabilities were easier to detect or observe than intellectual disabilities, efforts were first made to educate people who were deaf. Favorable results with the deaf translated into optimistic attitudes, and efforts were next made to improve the lives of people with blindness, followed by people with intellectual deficiencies. Obsessed with defining the essence of humanity, philosophers combined rational thought with empiricism. Therefore, as philosophical thought developed, so did science and medicine. Consequently, some of the first to systematically attempt to educate people with mental disabilities were physicians. Though Itard did not make the progress he hoped with Victor, the wild boy of Avivon, he successfully developed a systematic training program for educating students with severe intellectual disabilities, demonstrating that even, though, even those with marked intellectual deficiencies could improve with appropriate training. One of Itard's students, Edward Sagan, followed suit, publishing reports and authoring the first standard book for the treatment and training of children with mental deficiencies. While interest in educating people with disabilities developed from philosophical inquiry and expanded into medical and scientific study, an underlying economic motivation to train and teach was undoubtedly present. Prior to this time, people with disabilities were generally viewed as a burden on society. However, the ongoing Industrial Revolution prompted the almshouse movement. Um, they were also referred to as workhouse or poorhouses. Um, and this movement began in the early 18, 1800s as an economic relief solution for warehousing the poor, aged, and disabled. The economic influence on the early training and education people with disabilities received in the new institutions was apparent as the factory model soon emerged as the governing system. Support was garnered by appealing to political economists 
emphasizing the opportunity to transform people with disabilities from consumers into producers. Arguably, special education as a discipline emerged not as an offsuit of general education or as a primary expression of char charitable compassion, but to quench the philosophical pursuits of the French Enlightenment, to satisfy the empirical inquiries of the contemporary medical community, and to serve the economic interests of an industrializing society. Although modern special education's genesis can be traced to Europe, it was Dorothea Lind Dix who motivated a revolution in the way people with disabilities were viewed and treated here in the United States. Prior to the 1800s, people with disabilities were perceived as qualitatively different, less than human, and therefore denied rights usually accorded to other citizens. Dix, however, first observed the ramifications of these perceptions while visiting a jail in East Cambridge, Massachusetts in March 1841. Volunteering to teach a Sunday school lesson, Dix observed the conditions. She wrote, prostitutes, drunks, criminals, retarded individuals, and the mentally ill were housed together in unheated, unfurnished, and foul-smelling rooms. Appalled, Dix began a comprehensive fact-finding mission, systematically visiting jails and almshouses in the vicinity of Boston and eventually across Massachusetts. Dix took meticulous notes about the conditions, treatment, and behaviors, compiling her research into a direct and honest yet eloquent and passionate speech titled The Memorial to the Legislature of Massachusetts, 1943. Instead of challenging the churches, charities, or the asylums and almshouses themselves, Dix, a single female with no politic previous political experience, chose to mount a personal assault on the government itself. Dix's 1843 memorial stated the cold, severe facts about the suffering, abuse, and neglect people with intellectual disabilities were subject to. She exposed and challenged the dispositions of caregivers, quote-unquote, who believed that people with disabilities were qualitatively different and could not feel extreme heat or cold, that they were incurable and incapable of learning, and that they needed to be caged and chained with iron collars around their necks and limbs. She systematically revealed the conditions of each asylum and almshouse in the state, showing that it was not the exception, but rather the norm, to find people with intellectual disabilities in situations of extreme neglect and abuse. Although highly controversial, the memorial eventually won legislative support. The Massachusetts legislature began revising laws and standards related to the treatment of people with intellectual disabilities and subsequently appropriated funds to establish proper institutions, which eventually served as a model for other states. By establishing disability as differences in degree, not kind, Dix was able to convey the importance of proper care, training, and education. In addition to prompting legislative and social reform, Dix exerted tremendous effort to ensure people with disabilities were no longer housed in jails and prisons alongside, crimi alongside criminals and felons and devoted the later part of her life to developing hospitals, schools, and training facilities. This emerging emphasis on nurture was also reflected in the efforts of Dix's contemporaries. Convinced that people with disabilities could learn if taught, advocates and educators such as Thomas Gallaudet and Samuel Gridley Howe began systematically developing methods and interventions for training and teaching people with disabilities, many of which are still used today, for example, repetition, sensory stimulation, scaffolding, emphasis on early education, etc. Their driving conviction was that through providing the nurture that they had been previously denied, 
people with disabilities could make progress and participate in society. Emphasizing nurture, early advocates stress the importance of keeping institutions small and maintaining a family-like atmosphere. Thus, the outlook for people with disabilities was actually highly optimistic by the mid-1800s. In summary, characteristics of the early era of reform include A, an emphasis on nurture and training, B, focus on family-like atmospheres and institutions, C, the overall goal was to prepare people to participate in society, and D, people with disabilities were considered different by degree, so quantitative, not kind, which would be qualitative.